Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everybody, and as Todd and Neil already said, a very happy Mother's Day to y'all. Um, I know they already said it, but I wouldn't dare not say it as well. Um, not partially because I'm happy to, but I feel like I could get here up here on Christmas Day and not say Merry Christmas, and people would be like, oh, that's a little weird. Not say Happy Mother's Day on Mother's Day, and people are like, that guy uh, has a death wish. So anyways, uh, moms, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all that you do uh, for... Uh, well, all of us in the ways that you uh, lead us by the example that you give. Um, it's been uh, four weeks since I've been up here. For some of you, maybe a nice welcome break. Uh, for me, I've, I've missed uh, being up here again to work on the Gospel of Mark with you guys, and I'm so pumped to be back. Spent some time in Bulgaria, and I'm actually going to spend a fair amount of time talking about that this morning to you guys and kind of my experience there and sharing uh, from that with you. Uh, today's, uh, as we... Sorry, a while ago, Doug and I sat down and we started kind of scheduling out this series through the Gospel of Mark uh, over the upcoming months, and uh, May 12th was Mark 10, 1 to 31, and if you uh, have looked ahead, uh, you'll realize that it starts uh, by talking about divorce, and uh, so ha- good happy Mother's Day uh, message right there, you know? Um, and uh, I actually was like, you know, that, that's actually kind of cool. It's cool to be talking about something so relevant to marriage in this context. However, I want to share with you a little bit about uh, kind of my journey about uh, landing on where we're going to go with the passage this morning and uh, kind of what that's going to look like. So uh, before I left for Bulgaria, I had spent a while in the text, Mark 10, 1 to 31, um, just wrestling with some different thoughts and thinking through it and kind of had a bit of a, you know, this is, this is kind of where we'll land. Um, there are three different sections. There's this conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees about divorce, like I already mentioned. There's this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about children, and then there's this conversation that Jesus has with this rich young ruler. The first, or all three of them, you can also find in Matthew 19, and the latter two you can find in uh, Luke 18. And um, I kind of had some ideas about where we'd go with all of these, Um, and we have a lot going on this morning. We've got communion later and child dedications as well. Um, But then uh, I was in Bulgaria, and I'll tell you a little bit about that experience in a second, but um, it it, kind of made me shift gears a little bit. And really what we're going to do is just spend some time unpacking verses 13 to 16 and kind of skip the first section and the third section this morning, which... Uh, is, is, is hard for me because that's not what I want to do, uh, but that's uh, just kind of what I've been feeling in my heart. So I want to challenge you guys, since we're not looking at verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 31 this morning, to spend some time at home this week kind of wrestling with those passages. I'll give you my quick little snippet of yeah, maybe an interpretational note as you go and spend some time with that. 
uh, this week. The first section you can actually find us talking about at FBC uh, in week one of our You Ask For It series a couple years ago, so if you're interested, you can go check that out. But as you wrestle with the passage, uh, there are different teachings where, you know, Jesus teaches in parable, parable. sometimes it's like direct kind of teaching and thought. Uh, this is a passage that I would encourage you to take just very literally, simply for what it says. This is Jesus kind of just laying out his pretty honest thoughts with the Pharisees. No no hidden meaning or anything like that. And it's kind of an uncomfortable passage in the context of 21st century North America, uh, where divorce rates are really rampant. And, and don't read it in a condemning way, but read it in a way that really, I mean, I think it's fitting for a week where we celebrate Mother's Day. I mean, mothers deserve lifelong committed relationships where as husbands, as the other part of that marriage bond, we say, you know, tell death, do us Part. So uh, as you engage with that, I would read it really literally. The, the third section where Jesus speaks with this rich young ruler, I know we've, we've, we've landed there a little bit. We didn't have a sermon. That, I went through our catalog. I couldn't find a sermon that was just kind of all about that, except for one last year, a guest speaker named Wes Lindy. You can check that on our YouTube channel as well. Spoke about it. And as you read it, this has often been a passage that's generally been used to just talk about money. And I don't, I don't think that's the best use of this passage. Uh, it's not like if you're poor and you're reading it, you're like, oh yes, I'm not this guy. Um, I think a good way to read this is to lean into it and say, Jesus, in what ways am I the rich young ruler? What am I holding above you? Because Jesus' issue with this guy is that he had things that were sitting on the throne that only Jesus belonged on, and, and Jesus is challenging him to let go of some of his worldly joys and let Jesus be his only satisfying factor in his life. Jesus closes it by saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In, in modern speak, it would be, you know, it's easier to put a pipeline through the province of BC than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And a good question to ask yourself is, how am I rich? How am I holding things above Jesus? So anyways, uh, I hope you guys read those this week. I would love if, as you're reading those, if things stick out to you, there's some cool aha moments. Hit me up this week. I'd love to hear it. If maybe you have questions, hit me up. Text me, email me, hit me up on social media. I'd love to hear what Jesus is speaking to you about as you journey through Scripture. So on April 16th, we took off uh, for Bulgaria. For those of you who don't know where that is, don't feel bad because until I found out we were going to Bulgaria and looked on a map, I also had no idea. I was like, I think Europe? I don't know. Uh, so it is in Europe, Eastern Europe. And we took off uh, to go to Bulgaria, and we landed there on a Wednesday. And uh, when we landed, uh, we were supposed to leave the airport and go with uh, these two missionary guys, they're these two Bulgarian guys, uh, but it took us a little while because we did that thing where we went to go get our luggage off that like magical conveyor belt that goes through the wall and ends up with more suitcases on it, and after a while, everyone else on our flight had left with their suitcases, and the conveyor belt was just spinning and spinning empty and then stopped, and we're like, hmm, I think uh, that maybe our luggage is in Amsterdam, and so uh, we found out it was, took us a while, we got the next day, not a big deal, but we went and hung out with these, uh, these two missionaries there, these two Bulgarian men who, uh, their mission is to what are called the Roma people. So their names are Dinko and Stefko, these two missionaries, uh, which I like to call Stinko and Defko instead of Dinko and Stefko, but uh, Dinko and Stefko, these are actually common Bulgarian names. Names are really different there than they are here. Um, I almost met no one with... Kind of, one day, I met three females named Donka. 
um, which set my new record of donkas met in one day from zero all the way up to three. Um, so very different names, but um, Dinko and Stefko picked us up and we went for supper and we're hanging out and they're telling us a little bit about their work there in Bulgaria. And um, we're going to, uh, sorry, I want to quickly, I forgot to say this earlier, we're doing a presentation on our Bulgaria uh, experience on May 26th in the evening. I hope all of you will come because you get to hear from the rest of the team. Um, but this is just kind of where I'm at this morning. I want to share with you kind of from my journey with this passage. And so um, Dinko and Stefko take us to this restaurant. They're telling us about the work they do in Bulgaria. And what they told us is that in Bulgaria, there are kind of two kind of main classes. There are the white Bulgarians who are generally rich, first world. It's nice, like thing, kind of like here. And then around the corners, in their backyards, in slums in their cities, and in some little villages, there are the Roma people, what we would know as gypsies, but uh, what you shouldn't call them to their faces. So the Roma people, and they're, they're darker skinned, they're poorer, they're less educated, and um, I mean, some of the slums that we went to and some of the areas that we went to were very third world, very poor. And so their work is mostly with churches in these Roma communities. And so they're telling us a little bit about that, and it made us sad as they told us, you know, the white Bulgarians, they, they kind of look down on uh, the Roma people. Some of them are straight-up racist. Some of them just have stereotypes that they believe about this, this kind of other people group that are there, and they generally aren't that welcoming or engaged with them. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly divided kind of society. And so they tell us that their work is with them, uh, mostly churches in their own communities, because a lot of them aren't going to white Bulgarian churches. And uh, so then we asked, well, what are we doing? And they told us we'd be doing these events for kids, and then we'd be at a church service, and we, Darren and I were kind of <laughs> trying to figure out, like, so what are we going to be expected to do at the church services? He's like, oh, you know, we'll figure, like, you know, he's just like, it'll be good, it'll be, like, uh, I, I want to, my new goal in life is to show up every time that a team shows up on that first night and asks, what are we going to be doing, to just tell them, uh, because uh, it, there, there was a lot that we were supposed to be doing, and uh, we just didn't get advance notice, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a picture of that. So the next day, we loaded into these two vans, and uh, we got a cotton candy machine, popcorn machine, some stuff like that, think like really miniature version of our backyard barbecue, and we show up to this, uh, this slum in... Uh, in, in Sofia, the capital city. And it's, it's kind of crazy. You're just driving, things are nice, you turn a corner, and all of a sudden you're in this slum, this kind of poor area. And um, we get out of the vans, and there are all these, all these children from the community there. They're just hanging out, they're so excited, they're waiting. And we knew there would be a language barrier. We started learning some Bulgarian before we left, very little, because it's really hard. They have a different alphabet, and, and some of us are already struggling with our own alphabet. So a uh, little bit of a learning curve there. But we, we get out, and um, I, I've been on quite a few of these experiences and traveled a fair amount, and I've never experienced the language barrier as sharply as we did in Bulgaria. I mean, they, they speak Bulgarian, we speak English. And I had mentioned before that they shake their head for yes, and they nod their head for no. That's, the problem is if that was true, it'd be confusing. It, it's kind of true. They sometimes do that, and then they sometimes do the opposite. And so uh, it's just this guesswork. And so the most common, like, funny conversation would be happening is you'd ask a kid what their name was in Bulgarian, say, Kaksikazvash, um, probably not a very good pronunciation, but you'd say that. they say their names. They'd be like, Stuyan. And then you would say it back to make sure you're saying it right, because you're like, I've never heard this name, like, Stuyan. And they'd shake their head, and you're like, oh, I said it wrong. So you're like, Stuyan? Like, no. And you're like, well, Kaksi Kazvesh, they say it again. You're like, Stuyan? They shake their head, and after a few times, all of a sudden, you realize, oh, they're saying yes. Uh, I have said their name correctly eight times now. So um, <laughs> the good thing is, by that point, you knew their name. Um, 
So there are all these kids, and we're just like, we can't talk. And there's a small building that's the church, and then beside it is this kind of dirt field surrounded by a chain-link fence. So we just go with the kids and says dirt field, and we start just running around with them, going crazy, um, trying to teach them duck, duck, goose, which essentially just was became duck, 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 and then people ran and, and screamed and stuff like that. But they were having fun, and uh, it was awesome. So we're hanging out with these kids, and, and these kids were like, crazy. And, you know, you have a group of kids here, and they're often pretty crazy. These kids were like, I mean, violent at times, just like wild. And which was like, for me, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, this is a party, but a um, bit of a different vibe. Eventually, it was time to go to this church service. So we go into this to this church right beside there that had put on this, had, had invited us to come be part of this um, event in their community. And, and it's this small auditorium. I mean, the whole sanctuary. I mean, I shouldn't even say auditorium. The, their sanctuary room ha- has two light bulbs, okay? So if you take a quick look up, you realize, okay, that's, that's a couple less than we got here at FBC. It's a small place. I'm sitting in the back um, by some people there um, that I had just kind of met. And when we walked in, the pastor was uh, playing an acoustic guitar and singing and uh, really different vibe of music. I mean, to me, it sounded like coming from here, it's almost sounded like Middle Eastern type music, um, and uh, in Bulgarian, and he was he was singing and all that, and all of a sudden, Dinko gets up, and he says, hey, Darren, uh, you guys are up, and that's the moment that's like, yeah, we at, like, what? And so Darren gets up, and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And Dinko's like, yeah, just whatever you want, whatever's on your heart, and Darren's like, we are from Canada. We prepare stuff, okay? We do not do... Nothing is ever on our hearts, okay? Unless we've prepared. So Darren gets up, he's like, I don't know, I'll introduce the team. So he introduces the team. And then um, as a team, what we had, one of the things we had prepared was that everyone had to put together their testimony, their story of how they came to know Jesus. We took turns sharing it with our team and, and kind of working on that because um, I think it's probably one of the most powerful ways to, to think out and to share your faith is to just share your story. And so Darren's like, well, maybe we'll get someone to do a testimony. And at this point, you can just feel our team like tense up, like, don't pick me, don't pick me. So being the good friend that I am from the back, I just said, pick Becky. And uh, Darren's like, sure, Becky. And I get this look from Becky that's like, you are going to meet Jesus personally after the service. So (laughs) Becky gets up, shares her testimony, kills it. Awesome. Um, And... uh, then Darren's like, okay, I guess we got to do some more stuff. So we ended up doing, uh, we did a couple songs. We sang God is Good, a song we do here. And we're like, what's a song that they might be kind of familiar with? So we're like, on the fly, we're like, let's try Amazing Grace. Like, that's an easy song. And uh, I am glad that God's grace is amazing because we, uh, like, brutalized that song. We realized we don't know that song. And so um, Darren and I, between verses, are, like, arguing with each other about time signatures. And it's like, you're wrong. You're... And anyways, um, probably he was wrong. So uh, then... We did a total of three testimonies, Becky, Carly, and Jordan shared, and then his couple songs. And at this point, Darren felt, I think, pretty good about himself. He's like, yeah, we did some stuff. So he goes to sit down, and then Dinko drops these words, and he says, wait, who's going to preach? And Darren, Darren, the headlights, right? Like, he's just like, uh, and I, I imagine what's going through his mind is none of us have prepared. None of us are ready for this. We, don't, we haven't, like, we didn't know we were going to be doing this. And probably thought, I imagine his thought process to get there was something like this, like, well, you know, when it's something like this, this crazy out of the box, way out of the comfort zone, like, 
you know, he's the team leader, he's probably thinking, well, why would I put, throw another teammate under the bus when I'm the team leader, right? Well, a lot of you know Darren, so he says, oh, Ryan is. And so <laughs> I was like, cool, I have about an 18-foot walk to prepare a sermon. So I started walking and said, God, please. Um, the cool thing for me is I'd been in my mind wrestling with this passage in Mark 10 that I'd been reading and, and thinking about it. And when we were out playing with these kids, I, I, just, I just imagined Jesus out there, you know, like running around in the dirt with these kids and just, just having a blast with them. And uh, so I got up, and I was like, let's read Mark 10. And then I had to ask, like, how do we, because I have to interpret everything. Like, do I read the whole thing? Anyways, uh, figured it out. It was a little clunky, but we got through it. And I want to encourage them in the work that they're doing. And so let's, we'll, we'll read this text together. Mark 10, starting in verse 13, it says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what time of day it is. I don't know if the disciples just hate kids or if they're tired. It's kind of the end of the day, and they're just like, Jesus, like, we've, we've done enough. We're hungry. I, I don't know. But the disciples say, no, 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 no. Leave some room for Jesus. He needs to speak to the adults or he's done. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. We've seen this word show up a few times. And in fact, in Mark 1, you see that Jesus is indignant. And I really like to highlight these because I think it's so good for us to reflect on how incredible Jesus' love and grace and compassion is. But Jesus, Jesus has a serious sense of fury or anger that comes out sometimes. When Jesus has been sharing the gospel with people and giving them the gift of the gospel, and they choose to not allow it to come out of them in their words and their actions and the ways that they think and approach the world— this is infuriating to Jesus. Jesus isn't just, oh, hey, guys, you know, teachable moment here. This, this, this stuff ticks Jesus right off. He, he's angry about this. He's indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. This is a big statement to Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples are like the OGs, you know, they're his squad, they're his posse. I mean, certainly when I think about it, the kingdom of God belongs to Jesus' disciples who left house and home and family and everything. They're going to give up their lives to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, that's cool, but these kids, this is who the kingdom of God belongs to. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands in them and blessed them. I guess what I want to do this morning is I want to just share with you kind of where I've been at devotionally with this passage and what God's kind of been doing in my life as I've been wrestling with this. And um, it's, it's really been, um, it's, it's actually pretty deeply personal to me what I feel like God's been doing in my life with this passage. And so I want to share that with you and hopefully... It's, it's meaningful and helpful to you. I would imagine that if you showed up the day before this account and you found the disciples sitting in a circle, you know, they're in a, in a crew, you know, and you went up to them and you said, hey, disciples, uh, just a quick question, just a quick poll. How many of you, by show of hands, hate children? Any of you hate children? They'd probably be like, I mean, I mean maybe Judas would put up his hand because he's like, I kind of hate everyone. But, um, you know, probably no hands would go up. I mean, no one would own that. No one would, especially no one would say that. You know, hey, do any of you guys think that certain people should be excluded from the kingdom of God based on age? Probably won't put their hands. Even if you said to them, do you think there are any factors that would exclude people from the kingdom of God? 
they still probably wouldn't put up their hands, but we know that they struggled letting Gentiles in, right? These guys had some biases, some, some, some kind of blockages in their heart in understanding that the gospel was this message that Jesus brought that was a gift to the universe, to everyone. And so they wouldn't have said, oh, I hate kids, I can't stand kids, they bother me. But the next day, here you see this episode where kind of their true colors come out. And like I said, it might have been a long day. They might have been doing ministry for 12 hours in the dead heat of the Middle East. I don't know, but you see this account where people start bringing their kids to Jesus. And obviously Jesus is down with this. But his disciples say, no, 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 no. And all of a sudden, this kind of comes out. And I've started thinking about this and wrestling about this in context of my own life. So for a lot of us, I think we can say, well, no, I like kids. Or I don't have biases against these people. Or I'm, I'm welcoming to other people. I engage well. And we think about the area of our life where we do well, and oftentimes I think we let the color of that spill out into all the other areas of our lives. You know, like if you're generous in this area, you let that kind of be like, okay, I'm not a greedy person anywhere else. Or if I'm kind to these people, I'm not a, I'm not a mean person anywhere else. Do you understand what I'm saying? We let the good of one area of our life, I, I think, be kind of our justifying factor. Here at FBC, we use the word engage a lot. Um, and when we talk about thinking out, engaging with the world around us. And this idea of engaging is a really active idea. I mean, you don't engage by, you know, just passively standing by. You don't engage by not putting action. This, this is something where you have to actually invest action. And so I've been asking Jesus, Jesus, in my life, do I do this well with people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and walks of life and ages and whatever? Because I... I think if we went through this room and said, hey, do you have any, if I just did a poll and said, like, hey, does anybody have any serious biases against certain people groups based on ethnicity or class or, or age or anything like that, <laughs> I guess no one's going to put their hand up. But I know for myself, even though I wouldn't put my hand up, I can see that show up in certain areas of my life. And, and what I want to invite you to do is, is, God, I think, has kind of been challenging me to kind of do an, an inventory of my life, saying, Ryan, at work, in your neighborhood, in this area of your life, in this sphere, with these people, are there marginalized people that you are not actively engaging with? Are there, are there people that you're allowing yourself to say, well, you know, it's not, it's not really my vibe, but I'm good with these kinds of people over here? And, and the, the picture that I've been getting in my life, I, I want to share a little bit of a kind of an object picture that I've been getting in my life for how I think that plays out. So I'd call it, in my mind, what I've been calling is kind of the three levels of engagement and kind of doing an inventory of my life at which level I'm at with, with each of these. So first level, this door represents it. So imagine this door being the door to my house. And the first level of engagement, which is not really engagement at all, it's actually disengagement, is to stand behind a closed door like this and to have this wall in your life, this door in your life, I mean, how disengaging, except for the people way on the sides, how disengaging is that? I'm standing behind a door. How awkward is it to just listen to a talking door? And it's interesting because although the disciples might not have owned it or admitted it the day before, it turns out that in their hearts, this was kind of them. Our kids are showing up. You know, these kids are noisy and they're crazy and they're annoying. And we want Jesus' time. We want to be the one. We don't want Jesus saying the kingdom of God belongs to these. We're, we're his disciples. I mean, we're going to write parts of the Bible. We're going to start the church. But it turns out they had these biases in their life. 
And it makes me think about our time in Bulgaria. I mean, there's, there's this, the white Bulgarians are rich, living in a first world nation. And, and you can see some of this on our live streams. Right around the corner, on the First Baptist Church Facebook page, sorry. Right around the corner from them in their backyards is this other people group who are just poorer, who are marginalized. And Dinko told us a lot of the churches, a lot of the Christians would, would not be very open to Roma people coming to their churches. Why? Because of some of the stereotypes that they have about them. And you know what? The stereotypes might be true. Maybe they're, imagine they're all true. So what? Are we called to engage with people based on stereotypes? Because if so, I mean, kids are crazy, right? Kids are a lot of work. But Jesus doesn't care about that stereotype. I don't want to get too much into this, but I mean, how much of that class system in Bulgaria is actually a narrative of what we do in Canada so often? And, and so I've been challenged with this thought, you know, it, God, when it really comes down to it in certain areas of my life where, where, where there are different people that maybe other people don't engage with that well, and as Christians, we don't, we, we don't have the time for as much. Where am I standing behind a door? Where, where is this my approach? And saying, you know what? I, I, I don't know. You're not, you're not really my focus. You're not really my target. We see the disciples struggle with this again with Gentiles later on. So based on, based on ethnicity, based on age, they struggle to engage well with people. That's the first level of engagement. If you're here, I, I think, I hope that you'll spend some time praying about that this week and saying, God, stereotypes that I have about people, certain ethnic groups or certain ages, maybe, maybe you struggle with kids, maybe you don't like kids, Jesus loves them, so he can help you work on that, I think. Maybe, maybe you're young and you don't like old people. I don't know. Maybe you just don't like being around poor people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, and I don't know why those stereotypes creep in, but, but they have nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom of God. Second of level of engagement is, is what I view as this. We, we open the door, but, but we still stand on our side of the threshold. I'm still here. So I would say, sure, anybody can come into my house. Anybody can come, but I'm not going to go out and get them. They can come and engage with me. How ludicrous is that? And I think stage two is probably where I find myself a lot and where probably a lot of Christians find themselves in a lot of ways. Where, where engagement is a passive thing that we... We are the ones that have received the message of the gospel and have our lives transformed by Jesus' work on the cross and have his spirit living in us. But we will leave the work of engagement to those who haven't experienced that. That's crazy. And I'm not saying that's crazy because I think you're crazy. That's crazy because I think I'm crazy. How can, I, how can I live that lie? That doesn't make any sense. You know, we say, sure, people of all ethnic groups, whatever, can come in. People of all ages, people of all classes, anybody can come. It doesn't matter if you're crazy. It doesn't matter where you're at, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But, but we often don't do the work of stepping through the threshold. It's kind of like when Talcy and I bought my house, if we got together and said, anybody is welcome to visit our house anytime we want. If that is what we decided together, and we decided our door's open, uh, people can show up and visit us anytime we want, and we've never invited anybody, no one's going to come. No one's going to wake up one day and be like, you know what, I bet Ryan and Talcy's house is just like fair game. You know, I bet their door's unlocked. Let's just go. It doesn't work like that's, that's That is not how life works, especially not in the context we live in. 
And the third level of engagement, which I think is where the gospel lands, is when you open the door and you step through it. And you go and you say, who can I engage with? So this week, I hope you'll do an inventory of your life at school, at work, in your neighborhood, whatever spheres you have in your business, whatever you do at church. Who is it that when I really do an inventory of my heart, I struggle to reach out to and engage with? Who is it that maybe a lot of us do? Who is it that's marginalized in our society and in our communities that we just, it's easy for us to pass by. It's easy for us to stand on the other side of the threshold, or even worse, just stand there with our door closed. I, I don't imagine that if the disciples just stood by and were like, fine, sure, kids can come, whatever, and they weren't doing anything, that that would have been the, the absolute perfect picture. What I picture is this. I picture Jesus hoping that Peter or James, would walk through the crowd and would look through all the people and see this, see this shy, filthy little child who's, who's scared to go see Jesus, who's lost in this crowd, and just get down in front of this kid and say, hey, what's your name? You want to go sit on Jesus' lap? He would love to hold you. He created you. He'd love to bless you. Limited time offer, though, expires by Easter. Spoiler alert. Is that, was that savage? Okay. And bring this child to Jesus and say, Jesus, look, I've brought this, chi- this child that you care about so deep. I imagine Jesus saying, James, John, Andrew, put to, go get some craft supplies, get, pull a small group mat up, and teach these kids about the gospel. You know, get some fish, and some paper fish, and some magnets, and some sticks, and, and, and teach them an object lesson. Do something with these children. Piggyback them until your back's broken but they struggled, and just in the same way that I do. Maybe certain people tire me out. Maybe some people drain me emotionally. Maybe whatever. Maybe we hold on to certain stereotypes about certain types of people based on certain factors, and and maybe those stereotypes are true, but who cares? It doesn't matter in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. Imagine that being what Jesus would hope for, that his disciples would actively engage, would pursue, and would live out the gospel like that. And I think one of the reasons Jesus would want that is, hey, he loves these kids. He created them. They're his kids. He adores them. Kids are awesome. They're a gift. Without kids, we'd have no Mother's Day, you know? So big travesty there, right, moms? Um, Dads are like, wait a month, then that'll land with me. But... um, the, he loves these kids. But secondly, Jesus must recognize that these kids are about to play a really vital role in the church, in faith, in the world. I mean, he knows he's about to die. He knows that most of his disciples are not going to last that much longer before they're killed for their faith. When he holds a child on his, church, or on his knee, he's holding the future of the church on his knee. I mean, these kids, who do they, these kids all kind of look the same, but who, who do they grow up to become? I mean, he knows that eventually kids will grow up to become the fathers of the church, Augustine, Athanasius, Irenaeus. That kids will grow up to become the reformers, Martin Luther, uh, William Tyndale. If you don't know who these people are, they're uh, hugely uh, instrumental in the faith that you hold right now. So, important people. These kids will one day grow up to be that speaker that you heard at camp one summer that, um, you know, 
encourage you to give your life to Jesus. These kids will grow up to be that friend that you have that shared their faith with you and changed the way that you look at life and gave you eternal hope. These kids will grow up one day to be someone like Pastor Doug, who I know has been hugely instrumental in so many of your faith journeys. These kids are the future of the church then, and they continue to be now. And I imagine Jesus just thinking, why don't you guys get this? You might, and we're going to see that the disciples think that they're important in this back half of chapter 10 next week. Why do you think you're so important? Hand off leadership. Raise these kids to be the future of our church. And maybe this morning your struggle isn't just with kids or whatever, but maybe they're just people that you're struggling to engage with. And I'd, I'd invite you to just wrestle with that question this week. Who am I struggling to actively engage with? Who am I struggling to open the door to and walk through the threshold to? to and say, hey, I want to invite you to experience faith. That's what thinking out is really all about. I, I want to say something really quickly, and I, I don't want you to think that this, is, this message isn't a sales pitch to lead up to this, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, especially in context of the passage. This morning in your bulletins, there's a card you can fill out if you're interested to join our summer squad to try out helping out at FBC Kids with our kids program. Because this, this is what I think is really easy. In all areas of our lives, we have different responses. Just because you're good in one area doesn't mean you're good in the other. I, I think it's easy to be a part of FBC and have the door open and say, uh, yeah, man, this is awesome. I love that we have lots of kids and youth at our church. I love that they're welcome. I love that we have all these leaders who will help them and stand on this side of the door and say, that's really cool. It's, it's hard <laughs> to take the step through that door and say, I'll do the work. I'll engage with the Kids are tiring. It's to, it, it takes time out of your schedule. It's emotionally draining. And, and I know a lot of you are already volunteering in different areas, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel condemned, but what I'm saying is, is that we have an amazing kids program. We have a really amazing opportunity to invest into the future of the church through FBC Kids and through FBC Youth. It's actually huge. This year, my... Uh, my small group that I started six years ago is probably going to be worse when Aver graduates, but they're graduating this year. And it's, it's, <clears throat> I need some funny memes to look at. Okay. It's crazy. I went to a couple of their grads yesterday, and man, it's just unreal to look back and say, there's no better way I could have invested that time. I'm so glad Jesus pushed me through the door. In that area, I'm not, I'm not claiming to have it all together. I don't know what's keeping you on the other side of that threshold. It's cool to cheer on the fact that we've got a great kids program and that we're, we're doing this as a church. But this is an invitation for you to take a step through that door. Try once or twice this summer helping out with FBC kids. Let us just have a conversation with you about how you could be such an instrumental part of the next generation of our church, the future of our church. Jesus cares about that. Jesus would invite us to welcome children in his name and acknowledge that the kingdom of God belongs to kids like them. Maybe it freaks you out, and I get it. Maybe you're like, man, those kids will eat me alive. You know, worst case, they kill you. Martyr's death, very noble. So uh, that's actually like a win. So um, we have not had anyone die uh, serving our kids yet. So um, I guess you could set a record too. It'd be kind of cool. So uh, anyways... 
I know it's easy to think, oh, someone else will fill out a card. Someone, I, I know it's easy to just be here. And again, this, this isn't what this is all about. This isn't a big sales pitch leading up to this. I, I just can't help but think about how vital it is that we sacrifice and give of ourselves to say, you know what, it's, it's hard. It's complicated to deal with children. It's hard with my schedule. I've, we'd love to just have a conversation with you and help you figure out how that might work in your world. Because to us, kids are so important partially because Jesus tells us they are, but we know that one day I'll, I'll be gone way sooner than that. Doug will be gone. Um, it's an age joke, okay? Um, it's not, I'm not plotting anything. Um, we'll all be gone, and it will be our kids leading the church, and they'll be as good as we empowered them to be. So I don't know. What better thing could you be a part of? Um, because kids are so important to us here at FBC, we love to take time on Sunday mornings on the stage to dedicate kids. Um, and that's just an opportunity for us to introduce you to a, a family who's had a new child and to, um, to, to let you know who they are, for them to publicly say, we're going to do everything we can to raise our child to know Jesus, for you to figure out ways you can support them, for you to know who they are, to pray for them, uh, to encourage them, to offer free babysitting. On that note, don't know if you've heard, but I have a baby. Um, but uh, to just support them, to challenge them, to take time out for their kid, to be praying for their child. Um, re- really quick side note, Darren and I actually in Bulgaria got to dedicate this little girl named Mariah. Uh, she's three weeks old there, and that's her 16-year-old mom named Sarah. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's Dinko on the right there. He's, he's hilarious. I hope you go meet him one day. Um, in a, in a moment, we're going to take communion, but I want to um, share two last thoughts with you. One I forgot to say earlier. Um, in regards to level of engagement, one, one thing I often struggle with, I've been on many missions experience, when I come back from one, one thing I really struggle with is when people ask me how it was. And not, you can ask me how it was, that's not what I struggle with. How I struggle with is knowing how to respond. Because my only response is, I, I can't really explain it to you. You have to go. You need to just go and see. You need to go and experience it. I don't think, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to go on a missions experience, a global missions experience to be saved. But I think it's really easy to cheer on people who do and to stand here. And there's something so life-changing about stepping through and saying, I'm going to go to another part of the world to engage Usually what doesn't happen on something like that is that you usually don't turn the whole nation towards Jesus. It didn't work when we were in Bulgaria. What happens is you get transformed in crazy ways and you get to make a difference while you're there. It might be small, but the bigger difference is usually in your own life. Uh, There is nothing quite like going and experiencing firsthand how the gospel plays out in different cultures and different parts of the world. It's inexplainable. You get a a wider and a deeper sense of how the gospel works. And sometimes it's challenging and puzzling. You're in a really different culture and you're experiencing the... And some of you have been to some really different cultures on a missions experience. You know what I mean? There are these different experiences of the gospel and how that plays out in a different culture. And sometimes it's, it's, it's tough. You're like, man, really? Like, this is so different than us. And it's such a cool way to see how Jesus works. Um, another thing I'll say is that if you have a chance to go somewhere where... It's actually a developing nation, and there's poverty, and to see it firsthand, um, I, 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 wouldn't, I, I can't more emphatically invite you to go. Um, you can watch all the World Vision and Compassion videos you want, read stats, hear about it from us, see pictures. There's nothing 
that will help you understand how much bigger the world is than you and how much different other contexts of the world are than when you enter a village that is ravished with poverty. Um, and I, I, I don't want to, I'm not, con- I think family vacations are great. I'm not about to condemn that. I, I do think it's a much different experience than when you go to a place like that and stay at a resort because usually you're in a North American imprint in a culture. You do get a cultural experience and you do get to see some of it. But when you take some time for a week or two to go serve somewhere like that, it, it changes you so much. I want to challenge everyone in this room to think about going on a missions experience like that sometime. You don't have to wait till FPC's planning one. We, we can help you find some cool people you can talk to. You can go hang out with Stinko and Defco. They're awesome dudes. Uh, they're doing amazing work. It, it will change your life. And if you've gone on one, go again. It will continue. The, the work Jesus will do in you as you engage globally with the world around you will, will, will transform you. We, I, I really hope you come on May 26th to hear more about the experience, but we, we just won't be able to explain it to you. Yeah, you'll leave not totally understanding what we've... That, that sounds like I'm discouraging you from coming. Please come. Um, just understand that we hope that you go um, to, that, to, to somewhere, Bulgaria, somewhere. It will change your life. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot too is I don't want Avra growing up to become uh, as entitled as I was growing up, not understanding what poverty looked like. Um, I, I can't wait to take her to something like that and help her see it. So maybe you're like, oh, it's expensive. It takes, I know, there's so many reasons to not go, but I think there's a bigger reason to go, and that's how much you will be transformed by going. So anyways, I can talk about that for half an hour. Please go. On our experience, this is the last thing I want to share with you. On our experience, uh, we were going to this city called Chirpan. Chirpan's this nice first world city. It's, it's beautiful. And, um, but right around the corner, uh, we were in this little Roma slum, and it was actually interesting because when we left the slum, we decided to pray as a van. Um, I, I'm not quite as holy as Darren, so I had my eyes open, but Darren had his eyes closed. We were praying for like 30 seconds, and when he opened his eyes, all, we went from like third world to first world. Like it was like a teleportation machine. It, it's just that close. You turn a corner. But this was the poorest part of Bulgaria that we visited, this little slum in Chirpan. And when we were going there, uh, Dinko and Stefko told us, they said... Um, a lot of, most of these kids here will have never bathed or showered in their entire life. Some of you who know me are like, oh, Ryan, you'd fit right in, right? But um, they, and the crazy thing is that when we got there, we could tell that a lot of these kids had never bathed or showered in their lives. They were gross. They were filthy. They were poor. They were, you just, you wonder, like, you know, how many diseases do these kids have? How, you know, what's going on here? You're just in this gross part of the world. It, certainly uncomfortable. Um, but And communion servers, you guys can probably come and get set up. We're going to do this right away. But um, what, what impacted me the most about it was not seeing... It's going to be hard to get through. It's not seeing how the, the state that the kids were living in, but was watching our team just pour out of the van, vans and, and pick the kids up without hesitation. They didn't skip a beat, but they just picked these kids up and they held them in their arms and just loved on them. And it was, man, sorry. Oh, I've been taking lessons from Doug. I just saw Jesus who opens the door, walks through the door, and comes down to earth to engage with filthy, 
guilty sinners, people who are impoverished spiritually, people who have no right to see him, people who have no access to him, who are hopeless and lost. And he just comes and spreads his arms wide open and picks up little kids and loves them and gives his life for us. It's crazy. And this is what I saw. So uh, so I saw on our team, and I'll never forget it. And it's a picture that will change my life forever. So we're going to take communion this morning, and I hope you can just be blown away by this picture of Jesus just welcoming a world that was hopeless and lost into his arms as he gave his life on the cross for us. So you guys can go ahead and start serving. The band's going to play while they serve, and then you can just hold on to the elements, and we'll take it together after. Probably it's visible that, uh, well, yeah, I'm a little bit emotional this morning. I think God's just been kind of ripping my heart apart over this idea of what level of engagement I'm at. Am I behind a closed door? Am I behind an open door? Am I stepping out into a world that he came to pay the debt for, that he came to raise the dead back to life? What's my role in that, in the gospel, and how am I doing And what I want to challenge you guys with this week is to just spend some time saying, Jesus, in every area of my life, at school, at work, in my community, in my church, who's marginalized by others, by my inability to, my, my, not my inability, my lack of willingness to walk through the door? And I encourage you to just join me in that journey as I've been continuing to ask God to shape my heart in that. Hard questions to ask. And as you do, just continue to look back at the cross where Jesus willingly stepped through the door. Well, I hope today you will for sure step through the door and engage with your wonderful mothers and show them that you love them and care about them. I hope you guys have an awesome week, and we'll see you guys next week for the other half of Mark 10. Thanks, guys.